The Thriving Over Surviving podcast is for informational and inspirational purposes and not meant to be medical advice. Please consult your physician for any medical issues you may be facing. The opinions expressed by guests and advertisers are their own and not necessarily the opinions of Thriving Over Surviving podcast. MS is is not something I don't think I fight. I think it's it's something I have part of me. So I look at it as an unwelcome friend that I have to live with. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast, where we discuss the ups and downs of our autoimmune diagnoses, but ultimately how we thrive in spite of it. I'm your host, Edie Sahesian. I was diagnosed in 2015 with multiple sclerosis. I've learned a lot about MS in myself over the past few years, but the most important thing I realize is that I am going to live my best life. MS and other autoimmune diseases tend to be a bit of a bummer if we let them. So why not battle back by finding our joy? I was diagnosed with MS seven years ago. I'm motivated, thriving, improving myself, all the things. But what happens when you're 10, 20, or more years into this disease? Those of you who have had multiple sclerosis for a long time, how do you keep going? How do you maintain a positive outlook and not sink? Steve was diagnosed in 1994. For all of you trying to do the math, that is 28 years ago. Steve says he feels like he has learned to live with his diagnosis through self-awareness, adaptation, acceptance, and luck. MS is so random and unpredictable. He also believes we have control over how we deal with it. Steve is proud of himself, proud of the decisions he has made to challenge himself after what he calls an attack. In 2007, he vowed never to run again. He labeled himself as a man who does not do aerobic exercise, but all of that has changed. Let's find out how this 28-year veteran is challenging himself in order to thrive. Let's chat it up with Steve. Your courage in things are remarkable, and 28 years ago, I'm dying to hear your diagnosis story. Will you share that with us? Yeah, sure. 28 years, yeah, was 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 a while back and at the time there was lots of things going on in my life. I was I was in a rock band and we had just got signed to a label. I was engaged to get married. You know, there was all these things in life that were sort of blossoming and blooming and I I'm quite tenacious and I'll keep going on things. So I felt some numbness in my leg and, you know, and also I had some problems with my vision and the optician said to me, there's something there. I'm not sure what it is, you know, and this is the days before the internet. So you're not able to look these things up. You can look at books in the library. I also, with a numbness in, in, in my leg, you know, I was directed to have my spine looked at with which I did I, I followed those courses and I just kept going back to the doctor saying look it's not right you know I can feel there's something wrong here and something wrong with my eye and stuff and I was moving around a bit at the time and in the end letters got missed and things and I ended up going for an MRI scan with no knowledge about what it could be and I remember sitting in the MRI waiting room and I was next to someone who talked to me about being diagnosed with motor neuron disease and and he was in a pretty bad state and that's the first time I suddenly thought 
oh my gosh, what could this be? You know, I suddenly I hadn't really thought about it. I was just sort of going through the steps and I was really a bit scared then. And then I got, then I got, uh, you know, told, okay, you need to come and see the neurologist. I just rocked up. I'd already forgotten about the MRI scan, to be honest. Yeah, I just sat with a neurologist and he said, right, okay, and of course you've got MS. So here's a leaflet. Here's a leaflet, right, that they just handed that to you. And good good luck with that. He talked to me like I should have known because I think the letters got mixed in, you know, in with the doctors at all aware. And yeah, it's a shock. That was a shock. Was there any medication, any DMTs you could take at that time? No, no. There's rumours that there was a drug available which is going to fix it but these are stuff I heard about because like I said the internet rife then I had a friend who worked in a company who had access to the internet but information was very scarce so we didn't really I didn't really know what was going on then and I just rocked on back to work and sort of said oh okay and I sort of told everybody that I had this thing and everyone was shocked and you know I was shocked but I just sort of sort of carried on with life a bit. It was my birthday as well. My birthday's in on Halloween and it was on that day I, I got diagnosed. So I always remember my very definitely. Yeah, it's not gonna escape you. No. And 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 that was it. Then I had the then I had the diagnosis and then I went through a lumbar puncture and which was horrific. And then I went for myself, I went through, you know, the uh, the grieving process really. I, I was grieving the person I was and all those things I told you about, you know, that were happening in the future, I, I was starting to disbelieve and realize they might not happen and going through that, which I think is really important going through that grieving process, because you've got to readjust and be aware really of what's going on. So what did that look like for you? Was it like a depression? Was it dealing with things? Was it talking to someone? It was talking, I was very open about it. I told all my friends who were in their typical way because they knew me as I was. So they didn't really treat me any differently, which was great. And it for me, it was lots of crying, lots of soul searching, lots of worrying, lots of talking, talking to you know family and things about it. And um, just really some deep reflections and thoughts about it really for me, it was. And after this time, what happened to the rock band and your fiance? I got married, but I I then got divorced. And the rock band, we sort of fizzled out after. And I don't think it was my diagnosis that fizzled us out. I think it was, you know, we, we just got a bit ahead of ourselves, really. And, and that, that disappeared. It was a fun season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I, funny enough, I just, I just put together, because I work with a, a group of, guys and we meet every week as part of as part of this ms charity um in the uk and and we we chat and one of the things i'd mentioned i was in a band and they said ah oh, you know tell us about it and stuff so i put together a video of all clips and stuff and sent it to them so that was quite interesting to look back at absolutely how fun you know you never know what's going to end up happening in your life and since that time i know you've had several different careers and let's fast forward a bit to that 2007 relapse that you had, which you call an attack. How did that impact you moving forward? So, I mean, in terms of the impact with MS for me, it, it it's, you know, something I've always been really aware of. And I've always sort of looked after myself mental health wise. But I worked in IT, just got a new job. My mum had passed 2007. 
So, and also had started running and I, as a typical guy, competed and wanted to run as well. So I ran, which just meant running around the block, you know, not really having any skill to it or anything, just got up and ran. And what happened then is I, I, I lost the vision in my right eye, this flare up of optic neuritis. And, and so that was really hard because I just moved jobs. I wasn't under the protection of a big corporate company. It was a very small company. So that felt, that was a really scary time. Actually, I just suddenly thought, oh my gosh, I'm really vulnerable here. I'm the breadwinner. Everything's going to fall apart. You know, that was, that was again, a really, really sad time. And I then sort of, I do a lot of self-diagnosis. So I was, you know, then saying, okay, well, I just need to get another job. And I also need to stop running because I don't think aerobic exercise is necessarily good for me. So I labeled myself as someone who doesn't run and it kind of makes sense. You know, you can, you can look at it and you can think about getting hot with MS and about it causing a flare up. So it was a diagnose, self-diagnosis thing tool that I used, which I held on to, and I just steered away from aerobic exercise, which meant I could swim, I could walk, but I had constantly labeled myself that for 15 years, you know? And so, so, I mean, so that was the flare up. And alongside that, then I was working in IT. That was for 30 years, but I think I knew I wanted to do something different. So about 10 years ago, I started training in the evening and finding a different career. And that that's to be a psychotherapist. So I was interested in people and the mind and so I trained in, in that path, really, and then went down the road of being qualified to be to be a psychotherapist, which I, in the back of my mind, knew would be a, a career which would probably be more suited to me in terms of stress management and fitting into to my lifestyle. So after that relapse in 2007, did you have lingering effects from that? I've always had, I mean, I had another attack then in 2009. That was with the, the eye. I went on to a disease modifying drug after that. So that helped, although that's another story about getting the drug right and going through different diagnosis and different symptoms with that tell us about that what did what were you on well first of all i went on a um yeah you see now i'm not going to remember exactly what it was but i went on and i was injecting mm-hmm. it with an interferon at that point and i i didn't do very well with the injecting myself so i think that caused me a psychological impact really I, the idea of it i admire people who can do it very well but I did that for a while, but I also started then to suffer from depression. That was a dreadful stage, really, because what was happening then was my work was affected and I was on a really tightrope, really, with work because I was withdrawn. I was starting to not engage with my staff. I was running quite a big team at that stage, but I, I, I was definitely suffering from signs of depression. And um, it's very hard when you've got a a critical illness, when you look at what's causing the the depression, because ultimately you've got a number of factors at play. You've got work, you've got a critical illness, and you've also got potentially the drug, or you've also got your own background and physiological effects of depression might be in the family, it might be likely to get. So there are so many factors in there. Um, when it comes down to mental health and MS. So, so what it then was a case of really was, again, trying to factor out what the issues could have been. And, and ultimately, the, the neurologist at the time, not very helpfully, at one point said, well, of course, that's a symptom of the drug you're on. And 
that was quite frustrating because you know that that had been a long journey almost losing my job feeling again my life's falling apart you know laying on the sofa crying hard at that stage but then i was able to get a diagnosis i i went on you know to have an antidepressant so that helped also then i came off that drug and I was drug free for a while. And then I went on to, um, in the end, ultimately I'm on Tecfidra mm. in the end, which just seemed to suit really. And and then I came off the antidepressants. Yeah. And then, and, and then I, I was in, I was on a drug that was helping me and, you know, the depression had, had passed. So, yeah, but I'm very aware of it still, I'm very aware of it still. I bet it's always like there like lingering right that it could come back and you need to keep abreast of what that's feeling like for you i'm sure being a psychotherapist is a great tool to help you with that but also you had identified core values for you are self-awareness and humor so how do you use that self-awareness to fight back uh, really it's you know MS is is not something I don't think I fight. I think it's it's something I have, you know, it's part of me. So as an unwelcome friend that I have to live with and I listen to it. So if if I if I if I feel my leg twitching more than normal, I might think, okay, well I need to maybe spend a little more downtime. I need to go away for a bit. I need to exercise in a different way or I need to exercise more, you know. So just really being aware of your body and when you get to know your body and you know how the disease affects you, you can listen to it and and say, okay, well, okay, that's interesting. I need to, maybe I need to sleep better. I need to eat better. You know, I need to drink less, not water. (laughs) And, and ultimately that's, that's kind of it. To go back to the humor thing, I've, I've always been quite a, I don't want to use the word lighthearted because it's not lighthearted, but I think if you can laugh at it sometimes, that can be really, really useful. So one of mine is humor as well, my core values. I just need it. I, I need to be around other people who are humorous, who bring levity to things, and who are not going to always be that, I don't, I don't want to say stick in the mud, but negative Nelly, right? I, I need to have that humor. And I, I find um, comedy like stand-up great. And I try to fill my life with that. But more even on a daily basis, I just need to laugh. And be able to laugh at yourself as well, you know. And I, I think I think it's really important. And I, again, it's not making light of of, of something, but it's it's your your life. So you know, you you if you have a a different view on it, then that's okay. You know, it's a difficult road to travel, really. But it, yeah, it is an important part of me. Yes, I can relate a hundred percent. Self awareness, though, is really key. Like you said, really knowing your body and listening to it and not going against what your body is telling you. If you need to sleep, you're sleeping. Or being angry, you know, not being angry at your body. I, I, I don't think that's necessarily the, the, the right approach. It's not my approach, you know, not, not being angry at your body for things. that You know, there is, again, when I talked about the idea of, of grieving for your health, I mean, there, there are those moments when when things shift, you know, and, and your life can change and you can't do things, but, and, and you can be angry about that. And that's part of the process and to know that's healthy and it's okay to be angry, but if you sustain the anger, you know, like, like, like a bereavement, if, if you're constantly angry about that, about that loss, 
then you won't move on from from that situation. And I think it's the same with 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 an illness like MS. A hundred percent, because there's sides, right? I can pretend it's not there and not tackle it. I can be really angry all the time at it and frustrated, or I can meet in the middle and deal with my issue and come out on the other side feeling like I learned something about myself, which is constantly what I'm going through. And I feel like if I am not listening and I don't have that self-awareness, then I'm not going to be advocating for myself and I'm not going to be doing the things I need. Like I am not going to do or take a stressful situation on purpose if that makes sense, because I know stress is my trigger. So if I'm in a stressful situation, I need to deal with it immediately and back out of that so that I'm not caught up. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I wrote a piece about that this morning because I was, I'm a very aware that how my head works, you know, my MS sits a lot in my, in my cognition, in my brain. So you know, like earlier on, I came back, I went, I did some yoga this, not yoga, Pilates this morning at the gym. And I came back and I, I started doing some work, you know, and I started doing some things I needed to do for a project I'm working on. I was really aware and, and, and the way I really describe it as my head becomes full and my head overflows with, with stuff and I can't process stuff. So I'm like, I really need to watch that. What I then do is I, I force myself to have a what I call a micro nap where I don't sleep. I take 25 minutes to allow my brain to calm down, reach a point of, I mean, it's really meditation. I reach a point of stillness and then I reactivate and get back to life. It's sort of like a reset for my mind. And and I was really aware of, of what caused that today. And it's this visualization I made of, my mind of information bubbles growing up in my head. So there's no room in my head for anything else. And I feel overwhelmed. That is wild. I I really think that that is something that I haven't heard before. And I love that tip too for all of us, just to get that little mental reset. I don't need to completely like check out and, and take that nap and sleep for four hours. I just need to get my head right. And then I know I'm good to move forward. Am I interpreting that right? Yeah. And I used, you know, I lose, I use electronic devices to, to, to give myself that time, you know, and I'll go off to my, in my own space and I will close my eyes and, you know, I've trained myself as well to do that. This isn't just overnight. I've used various things to, to get myself so I can be able to do that relatively quickly. So you mentioned earlier about the Pilates, which isn't necessarily aerobic, but I have this feeling like you're getting back into it. I would love for you to share with us what that aerobic exercise is looking like for you now. I don't know what caused me to to think about it, but I I, I was I was again it's probably self-reflection and things. I was thinking what what I'm, I'm feeling quite healthy at the moment. I've been doing quite a lot of exercise and I'm quite enjoying it and I'm thinking do you know what? I wonder if I and I just wondered if I, I think about running and I think running looks okay. I see people run. I think I, maybe I can do that. Oh, Steve, you can't run. You know, I don't do aerobic exercise. And I think, well, maybe that's just a self belief I've imposed on myself. You know, that I can't do it. And if I'm kind to myself and if I don't just go out all guns blazing and I take it easy, and and if it 
doesn't work, I can step back and, and not do it. But why don't I try? And so, so then I started Couch to 5K. It's a very guided and very gradual thing that allowed me to, you know, I, I've just begun doing it. I was terrified because right? I just thought very, very aware of twitches in my leg, my eyes, am I okay? But I started doing it again. I know a little bit about Couch to 5K. I've been hearing people bring that up to me a bit and it really um, fascinates me. So what my understanding is, is that it's like every other day you're doing the running, but it's gradual, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So you start off, you, you put your earphones in and you're guided by by somebody. It's normally a famous person. And you know, they're telling you, right, you need to walk for five minutes and then you need to run for one minute and and then you walk for two minutes, then you run for one minute, then, you know, and you do that for free. You do that for, it takes about okay. 20 minutes, I'd say, I think about 20 minutes. And you do that and you do that every other day. So you do it on a Monday, a Wednesday and a Friday, let's say, and then you take two days off. And, you know, it, it, it's okay. And you do it and you think, oh, that's not too bad and then and in the next week you might run for slightly more and your recovery time is slightly less and it's just you know i'm on week four now and i'm running for 90 seconds well minute and a half rest then i might run for three minutes then i'll have a three minute rest and the rest is a walk yeah it's not sitting down it's you walk and then you know, i ran for five minutes so i'm doing basically now i'm doing 16 minutes running you know which which is a massive thing. I'm really, really, I'm really proud, really, because I think I've, because I've challenged that self-belief and because, because I, I, I can do it. I don't run fast, you know, it's a bit of an amble, but. I, I think that that is outstanding because just what you said about challenging your self-belief, especially if it's one that puts you in like a box, right? And prohibits you from doing things that maybe you could be successful at. So also, it seems like you've made a lot of progress. So I I think that, you know, for you, especially this is working well, when I walk in the morning, so I walk a mile, well, it's like a mile and a quarter every morning, I'll run or jog, slightly jog for like a hundred or a, what is it? A hundred yards. And by the end, I am very, you know, my breath is, is very inhibited. And so I want to keep going, but I didn't know how to regiment myself in that way. So I, I'm totally going to try this. I think that it sounds like something that I'm capable of doing. And I went on the website so I'm overweight and it's always like, is this going to work? Am I going to be able to do this? And there were different testimonials of people who are in a situation like I am and they have been successful at it. So it, again, you know, when I hear those things, it it's like, okay, I, I, other people are capable of doing this. I can jump in and try it too. And the nice thing is though, if, you know, if I do the first week, if, if I do this week, and I, I try next week and it's too much, I can just go back and do this week. You know, this it's not it's not done in a way that, you know, you need to keep going. You can keep doing the same week 
or the same day or week. I've got a dog and we ha we had an altercation when she pulled me over. I think I broke my rib and so I had to stop for a week. So that wasn't fun. But but yeah, but you can take it at your own pace. And the thing is, I, I can be proud of what I've done already. If I stop where I am now, I've 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 actually started running, you know, and that feels great because it feels like I've, you know, I diagnosed 28 years ago and I thought my life was over. It feels wrong, which is really weird. You know, I've got this, it's, I don't know if it's guilt, but I've got a feeling that I'm doing something that doesn't is wrong, you know? But you've lived that way for so long and you're trying to break through it. Has anything happened with your MS since you started the, the regiment now? No, I mean, like I said, I've been aware of little twinges here and there. Every time you get a twinge, you think, oh, that's MS. So that my wife would just say, well, I get them all the time. You know, that's life. You, you know, so that it's nice to have that counterbalance sometimes. Truth. Yeah. When the temperature starts to get warmer and I'm walking, like by the time I get home, my legs are very tingling. So five minutes of my shower every morning is cold. But when... I think that's so brave. Oh my God. I have to... I'm just watching. I'm just watching Wim Hof now doing his doing his ice baths and things. And I'm like, oh. so I I got in the shower the other day, and I'm like, I could do it. I could do it, Steve. You could do it. Right? It says right. You've got to put it really cold for for um half for thirty seconds. So I go, okay, okay. It was really hot. I turn it really cold, and by the time it gets cold, I'm probably on about probably on about 10 seconds so I'm only doing it for five seconds but I'm still screaming when I'm doing it yes yeah, so it's got to be gradual so like when I wash my hair I turn the knob a little bit and then when I'm shaving my legs I turn it a little bit more and so by the time I'm I'm ready to condition I have that five minutes of coolness and so yeah take it gradually Steve don't shock yourself now <laughs> But when my legs are tingly, I need longer. But that helps me. And I just, you know, put that modification in for myself so that I don't stop because I'm feeling the tingly. I just do something to counterbalance it, I guess. We all need to take this little tidbit from Steve because 28 years later, you have adapted in such a way to support yourself that it's miraculous because a lot of people aren't able to adapt like you have. And as a result, they deteriorate in their illness. So Steve, through all of this process, what have you personally gotten out of it? Like, have you built relationships with people? I think the biggest thing I had, and it was a huge sense of pride in this group that I work on, which is men with MS with the UK charity, we were we were all reflecting really last week in our in our in our whatsapp group or whatever no it was a zoom call and we were talking about what we had done really and i was they were asking me about the running and i was telling them how how proud i was you know how amazing that i'd done this and this other guy was saying how he had got back on the bike again because he'd given up cycling he'd only be doing it at home on his bike but he was going back on the road he was very nervous but he was challenging himself and doing it there was another guy there who had written a book and he'd published this book you know and he'd, he'd been on his mind he wanted to do it and he'd, he'd done it as well he'd grown and the other guy we were with he was talking about how he used to follow a football team and he still does follow them he used to go and see them but he hadn't been to the pitch to watch a match and how he had gone and challenged himself to go there he had to walk up these steps and how he had done it. He was so proud of himself. And we were just sort of self 
celebrating the fact that we were able to grow and where we were. Yes, and all of those goals are so individualistic. And with MS being this snowflake disease, we need to create goals that are attainable for ourselves because I love celebrating. I don't know about you, but I think of fun ways to celebrate because that's those accomplishments are big and you should be saying to yourself, I am proud of the journey that I've made and the successes that I've had. Absolutely, everything's relative to where people are. And it's as joyous as running a marathon, which I'm not gonna do, yeah. Yeah, 5K is good, 5K is good. (laughs) Yeah, I think I'll stick at that. Well, I'll keep following you, Steve, and celebrating along with you. Thank you very much. So I know that you know you're this psychotherapist now and you're helping other people. It was a bit of a parallel when I left school, I wanted to work with people, but I was told computers are going to be big, so you should do that, really. So I kind of listened to those teachers at that stage. I, I recognized it wasn't what I wanted to do. I started doing counseling. Uh, then I had to have a break because I'd had a kid and my marriage broke down. So I recognized I couldn't you know, commit to the work. So volunteering, doing counseling working I was working with bereaved children at that stage volunteering helping them and you know that was stuff I did in the evenings and then well about 10 years ago now it was actually after I had those two relapses I I recognized that I needed to you know to steer my career in a different direction because I worked in you know a big multinational company working with lots of people under me lots of stress so you know, work was stressful. So I recognized I needed to do something else. So I retrained then in the evening. So that was hard, you know, because it's hard, hard to do it in, in, your, in the part time, really. But so I retrained then and spent six years learning the craft, as it were, and becoming qualified. And then I just worked, but lived in those two different worlds. And it, in the end, I, I couldn't carry on that high pressured corporate job. I, you know, it was untenable, really. So I, I took an option and, and left that company and decided to become a, a psychotherapist, really. And it's interesting what you said about comedy, because I chatted to another friend of mine who's also a, a, a psychotherapist, but she's she also has MS. And we were talking about how when you're working in that world, you're you're completely in their world. You're in their fret. You know, you're with a client. You're focused on them. So the energy you've got is it's not like working with lots of numbers or pressures and people pressure telling you this, you are completely in their world and you can almost step into that world for a period of time, which in a way it just sort of matches my, my ability to concentrate or be in that place, you know, and yeah, it actually matches my, my illness, I suppose, and what I can offer. I I think that that's like a model of almost what people need to do and adapt to meet your own needs. And so, Steve, people always ask me, where do I find the people for the podcast? Because they're incredible. And I am so, so glad that you agreed to come on the show and share this story because people seriously need to hear it. And I know that people listening are like, what does my future look like with MS? What could it look like? What can I do to make sure that I have longevity? I was actually talking to a friend of mine the other day, and we're talking about retirement. Now, I'm 45, but you know I see it in my future, this retirement where I'm on the beach. And 
I don't know <laughs> how long I'm supposed to plan for. And I was saying to my friend, and now the thinking back at it is pretty probably defeatist of me. But I was like, I'm not going to live till 100. I'm not even going to live to 90. I'm looking at a 70, 75 year lifespan here. And she got really quiet. And I think she was disappointed in me for thinking that way. But I, I don't know what my reality is going to be, but I know seriously listening to you in this conversation has infused in me some things that I've been thinking about in my life and I need to follow that. And so adapting to make sure that I have the best quality of life that I can possibly have. So I lifted this quote from something that you shared with me. I don't like this life partner, but hating it is just going to make the journey miserable. And I think that that's really poignant because if I live in that place of anger, it really isn't going to get me very far. So from being tenacious to going through the grieving process to MS isn't something I fight. It's an unwelcome friend that I live with. Don't be angry with your body. Take that micro nap and challenge yourself and adapt to what you need. Steve, thank you so much for being here today with me. Is there a place where people can reach out and find you if they have questions or they want to chat? I would say probably LinkedIn would be the best place to go. I'm in LinkedIn as the Well Mind Coach, which is sort of how I sort of position myself in my psychotherapy. And also when I'm doing the running, what I decided to raise some money for, for, for a local MS charity. So I've got a Just Giving page as well, just to try and raise some money for, for that MS charity, which is quite local to me. Oh, I love that too. That is wonderful. And our community appreciates that, Steve. And we'll make sure that all of that is in the show notes for everybody. You can find those show notes on a couple days after this is released. I always put the show notes in my blog on the website, thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com. There you can find links to discovering what your core values are too. Thanks so much, Steve. I hope you keep thriving. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. If you would like to join our growing community of thrivers, there are a lot of ways to do so. Visit the website at thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com. There you'll find links to all our social media, my blog, and lots more. See you next time when we chat it up with another autoimmune warrior on the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. Keep thriving. Keep thriving.